May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Eight o'clock was interesting. We had no lights. So I'm up here at the uh, podium with my flashlight on my phone so they could read. Then we opened this up halfway so I could see what I was reading for a sermon. And the only thing we had were these, these lights. And I'm on the phone with Matthew at like 20 of 7, figuring, pushing buttons, but nothing worked. And then what did you do? You turn everything off? That's the, that's the solution. But it was interesting. It was mood lighting. It was very, uh, very good. So we dodged a bullet with the storm. Hallelujah. I'm, we need to be praying for the people down south. We didn't dodge all the bullets. Jerry Lee is back. So I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If he gives you any trouble, let, uh, let Kathy know. I want to talk to you this morning about this reading from uh, 2 Timothy. The big idea is God did not give us a spirit of fear. So stand up for Jesus. That's what we sang as we came in. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. And I think there's a time coming when we need to really take that to heart. This is uh, Paul's final letter. You could say that it's his last will and testament in a way. He's in prison. He's in chains. He's in Rome. And around 66 AD, traditionally, they think Nero beheaded him. Uh, the church was in crisis when he writes this letter. For the first 25 years of the church or so, things went really well. But then around 60, Nero came on the scene in 58. But around 60 or so, things started to go downhill. And at one point, Nero took a, a, on an urban renewal project and burned half of Rome down because he didn't like wooden structures, and he blamed the Christians. And from then on, the Christians were sort of on the run. Um, for various reasons, but that really was one of the impetuses for that. False teachers had crept in and were being very influential with the people. That was another problem they were dealing with. In Galatians, Paul really says, I'm astonished at how quickly you have fallen prey to these false teachers. I thought, I thought you were taught better than that. And I think it's, it's really true in our day as well. You have false teachers within the church that have come in theologically and culturally. Uh, it, it, Every way from, you know, universalism, everybody will be saved, or salvation by good works versus faith. Um, culturally, the redefinition of marriage and family and all these different things that, that, are, that the church is dealing with these days. Um, they were dealing with heresies and false teaching in their day, and we, t we deal with that as well in our day. Paul was abandoned uh, in Rome. The only one that was with him was Luke. The only one that had stayed by his side was Luke. But he's now writing to Timothy. Timothy represents the next generation. Timothy is young. He's timid. Uh, he's fearful. He's emotional. All, all those things you really want in a future leader. Absolutely not a problem. This is who you're looking for. Uh, but Paul is, is writing to him because... He really represents the next generation. And we have an obligation to pass on our faith to the next generation. We have an obligation to pass on our, our faith to our children. And so it gives me great hope when I see the school. We have over 300 people in the church on a Wednesday morning. 
with the staff and the kids and the parents and grandparents who are starting to come more and more as well. And they're hearing a, a gospel message and being raised in the faith. Over half of the families at Grace School don't have a church home. They do, but they want their kids to have that solid Christian education. So, you know, a lot of them are coming on a Wednesday, which is a good thing. I'm, I'm in, when the kids come up for this children's sermon, I'm encouraged because parents want their kids to be here. I'll go around during communion and give communion to people that can't come up, but I always go to the nursery, and lately there's more and more kids in the nursery, and this is a good thing. It's a good, healthy thing. We need to be passing that torch on to our children. Um, it's different today than it was when I grew up. I think the church began kind of falling away in many ways or becoming under attack in the 60s. In 62, the, uh, the decision was made, you can't pray in school anymore. You had the sexual revolution in the 60s. You had feminist revolution in the 60s. Um, I went to college in the 60s. Some of you are saying, I, I didn't know you were that old, and some of you are saying, I didn't know you were that young. But, no, nevertheless, I went to school in the 60s at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, a hub, a center of that kind of revolution I'm talking about, okay? In four years, I had one liberal professor. In four years, I had one liberal professor. All the rest were conservative, World War II and Korea era guys, okay? And the one liberal I had was a communist from Paris. It was in a conversational French class. I, I remember it. And I remember one episode where we had to write an editorial and the Russians had just sent tanks into Poland and I wrote an editorial from more of a less a military, U.S. military standpoint. She did not like that. So. That's why I remember it. <laughs> Paul reminds Timothy to use his gifts. He says, don't be afraid. God did not give us a spirit of, in, in the RSV, it's timidity. In, in other translations, it's fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind or self-control uh, in the RSV. He's, he's telling Timothy, uh, you, need, you need to buck up. You just don't, don't be afraid of what's coming. Um, and allow God to use you. You think you have a lot of flaws. You think you have a lot of things that are kind of against what it is we need you to do. But God can use those. A water bear in India had two large pots hung on each end of a pole, which he carried across his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it, while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water at the end of the long walk from the stream to the master's house. The crack pot arrived only half full. For a full two years, this went on daily, with the bear delivering only one and a half pots full of water in his master's house. Of course, the perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, perfect to the end for which it was made, but the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfections and miserable that it was able to accomplish only half of what it had been designed to do. After two years of what perceived to be a bitter failure, it spoke to the water bearer, I'm ashamed of myself and I want to apologize to you. Why, asked the bearer, what are you ashamed of? I've been able for th these past two years to deliver only half my load because the crack in my side causes the water to leak out all the way back to your master's house. 
because of my flaw, you have to do all this work and you don't get full value for your efforts, the pot said. Water bearer felt sorry and said, as we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Indeed, as they went up the hill, the crackpot took notice of the sun warming the beautiful flowers on the side of the path. And it cheered it, it cheered it some. But in the end of the, at the end of the trail, it still felt bad because it had leaked out half of its load. And so again, it apologized to the bear for its failure. The bear said to the pot, did you notice that there are flowers only on your side of the path, but not the other pot side? I've always known about your flaw, and I planted flower seeds on your side of the path. Every day while we walked back from the stream, you watered them. For two years, I have been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you being just the way you are, my master would not have, uh, have this beauty to grace his house. Each of us has our own unique flaws. We are all cracked pots. Not cracked pots, cracked pots. Just saying. But if we allow, the, allow it, the Lord will use our flaws to grace his, master, his father's table. As we seek to minister together, and as God calls you to the tasks he has appointed for you, don't be afraid of your flaws. Go on boldly, knowing that in our weakness we find his strength. You, too, can bring beauty to his pathway. And I know there are areas of your life that make you ashamed today. The good news is that he can and will still use you in spite of them. We're all just a bunch of cracked pots. But that's the kind he uses for his glory. Bring the things you are ashamed to, of to him today and let him take care of them. We all have those things that we wish were different about ourselves, but it's amazing how God can take some of those things and use them for his glory. So use your gifts. If your gift is to teach, teach. If your gift is to sing, sing. If your gift is to help, help. If your gift is to cook, cook. If your gift is to lead, lead. If your gift is to whatever it is, use it. God has given us certain gifts and talents and abilities, and he wants us to put them to use for his kingdom. You know, Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we can't really do any of that anymore. But how am I feeling about that? Am I praying? Am I praying for those outside of my world where I used to be involved and able to do things? Never give up. Prayer is very, very powerful. In his excellent book, Don't Waste Your Life, John Piper tells about Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards, who died in April 2000 in Cameroon, West Africa. Ruby was over 80, had been single all her life, and had spent her life making Jesus Christ known among the unreached, poor, and sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80, who served with Ruby in Cameroon. Their brakes failed, the car went over a cliff, and they both were killed instantly. Piper asks, was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great passion, namely to be spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ, even two decades after most of their American counterparts had retired to throw their lives, on, throw their lives away on tribals. He answers, no, that is not a tragedy, that is a glory. These lives were not wasted, and these lives were not lost. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. 
He continues, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. When Piper first read that, he thought that was a joke, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Rather, this was their dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. Piper concludes, that is a tragedy. And he rightly urges, don't buy it, that version of the American dream. Don't waste your life. I don't think we have a lot of shell collectors at Christ the King. I think we have a lot of people who get it, who are working hard to advance the kingdom of God for the betterment of others. I see it every single day in this place. And I think that's one of the things that keeps people healthy and strong and moving forward because they have a real purpose in life. And that is to expand the kingdom wherever they might find it. So don't be ashamed of the gospel. The world today is a very challenging place for people of faith. I think that's true. He's telling, he's telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. You know, sometimes if you're at work and you want to share the faith, it becomes difficult. Maybe at school, maybe you're a teacher and you want to pray with a student, and it's tough. Maybe you have family members who have a very different view of what faith might be, and they want to hold you at arm's length or want to have nothing to do with you because of your faith. Maybe you have friends where this is a real problem, and it has really changed your relational experience in life. Just the way it is, you know. We need to stand strong with the faith that God has given us because the gospel is true. Kathy and I went to the movies a while ago, a few weeks ago. We don't usually go to the movies, but this was a movie called Running the Bases. Did anybody see that movie, Running the Bases? Nobody. I thought maybe you were one of the seven people that were in there with us. I wasn't sure. It was really a quick, quickly a story of, of a baseball coach. Uh, he and his twin brother had, a, had careers planned in the major leagues and in high school. His twin brother was coming around the bases after hitting a home run and between third and home dropped dead of a heart attack. Um, the younger brother, or, or the, the twin, becomes a coach. And in honor of his brother, before every game, he runs the bases and he prays. He winds up moving to Texas, and he's, he's lured there by the superintendent of schools, who is an atheist. And the coach is a strong Christian. And he, he baptizes the superintendent's son and gives him a Bible. The superintendent finds the Bible, sees it from the coach, and goes crazy. Finds out that what, that he's, what he's doing in running the bases and praying is violation of some local ordinance about public expression of faith, if you're a public official or whatever. And he gets arrested. He has him arrested. And he goes to jail. And you see how he's sharing the gospel in jail. And then he, things happen, and he finally comes out, and he gets out of the car, gets out of the police car in the uniform, and he goes back to the field, and he says, you know what I got to do. And he starts to run the bases, and his team follows him around the bases, and the opposing team follows him around the bases as well. But he never gave up. He never stepped back. He stood up for his faith and what he believed, and in the end, they overturned the ordinance. But he never, he never backed down. 
although it would have been really easy to say, oh, okay, fine, I don't need another basis, no problem. But for him, it was very, very important. Sometimes it gets hard. If, you, if you're a coach and you want to pray at the 50-yard line, pray at the 50-yard line. If you own a bakery or a flower shop or a, or a photo studio and you don't want to do a particular wedding, then don't do it, even though you might really get creamed for it. Chaplains have been disciplined for sharing the gospel with soldiers, believe it or not. Little Sisters of the Poor a number of years ago got in trouble because their health insurance didn't have contraceptives. Remember Dabo Sweeney? Dabo Sweeney is the coach. Is he still the coach at Clemson? Yes, yes. Pam is shaking her head. He and he was a, he's a very faithful guy, and he would pray, and he got he got in trouble for it, but he didn't stop. He just kept doing it, and finally that was okay. So over and over, you see people who have stepped up and stood strong, and that's where we need to be today. The church needs to stand up and stand strong for the things that are coming against us. Um, Paul says, "Join me in suffering." At the Nicene Council, where we get the Nicene Creed, which we're going to say shortly. Uh, it was in the 4th century A.D. Of the 318 delegates attending, fewer than 12 had not lost an eye or lost a hand or did not limp on a leg by torture, uh, lamed by torture for their Christian faith. Of the 318 delegates at the Nicene Council, fewer than 12 had not lost an eye, a hand, or were limp because of their faith. During China's Boxer Rebellion at 1900, insurgents captured a mission station, blocked all the gates but one, and in front of that one gate placed a cross flat on the ground. Then the word was passed to those inside that any who trampled the cross underfoot would be permitted their freedom and life, but any refusing would be shot. Terribly frightened, the first seven students trampled the cross under their feet and were allowed to go free. But the eighth student, a young girl, refused to commit the sacrilegious act. Kneeling beside the cross in prayer for strength, she arose and moved carefully around the cross and went out to the face of the firing squad. Strengthened by her example, every one of the remaining 92 students followed her to the firing squad. All of them. Because of her example, her faith. <coughs> Today, if we embrace and proclaim God's truth, we're the enemy in many ways. That's that biblical versus secular worldview. Um, we see it in, a, in, a, in this craziness of the LGBTQ uh, agenda. The latest thing I just heard, I don't know where it is, but there's a high school where the, they have a volleyball team, and there's 10 girls on the volleyball team, and they have a transgender person who wants to be part of that. And the girls were very leery of him being in, in the locker room. So now the girls have been banned from the locker room, and the only one allowed in the locker room is the transgender female. The girls are now in a bathroom changing. There's no place to shower, but this is what they have to do. They've been vilified because they were <coughs> concerned and frankly afraid of having a male, a biological male in the locker room with them while they were doing what they were doing, doing what you do in a locker room. But they're the bad ones. Uh, craziness extends to the Air Force Academy where they have banned words like mom and dad. Mom and dad, mother, father, brother, sister, because they're too gender specific at the Air Force Academy. 
I'm praying it doesn't go to the naval academy. First Christian Church in Katy, Texas last week uh, during the church service had a drag queen story hour, drag queen show for the young people. Disciples of Christ. It's everywhere. Every corporate, every institution that we have has been infected by this and God's people need to stand up and say enough is enough. No. In California they are now uh, working, there's a bill working its way through the California legislature, it hasn't been signed yet, that would allow taking the life of a child up to 28 days after birth. 28 days. In my book, that's called murder. But they're considering this. And I knew that back in the day, rare, safe, legal, and then it was first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, birth. And now they're talking about basically a month after birth, you can take the child's life. Hasn't happened yet, but there are people that are pushing for this and want it to happen. Okay? This does not make God happy. And I hope God's people in California stand up and say enough is enough. Okay? Looking at 2 Timothy 1, several facts stand out. Reject fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. Stand fast for the gospel and stand with those who suffer for the Lord. This is from uh, Ray Pritchard, commentator. He says, we live in, an ama in amazing times when the world itself seems to be undergoing a seismic change. Long-held opinions are being overthrown and new ones embraced by millions of people. This is no time for neutrality. Everyone we meet is going to heaven or hell. There is no third option. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. Each person makes a choice, and then we live by the choices we make. We are either for Christ or against him. Do you stand with Jesus or against him? Do not despair and never lose hope. These are great days to be alive, perhaps the greatest days in all history. Who knows? Perhaps we will live to see the coming of Christ in our generation. The vast moral decay should not discourage us. These things were known to God from the beginning and were clearly predicted in the Bible. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ultimately, it is God himself who stands behind the gospel. Truth does not depend on us, but on the Lord himself. He will preserve the truth and will cause the light of the gospel to shine in the darkness. Our part is to be faithful. So let us determine to stand fast by the power of God, to be bold in our witness, to entrust the future into the hands of the Lord, and to live for Christ no matter what it costs. Paul said, I am not ashamed. What about you? Or me? I want to have a, I'm going to play a video. I don't know if I played this before. I might have. But if you're in the car with Vitalis, this is playing. He loves this song, and I think it's very appropriate for where we are today.
God did not give us a spirit of fear. So stand up for Jesus.